This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of The Alchemist by H.P. Lovecraft. It's read by Martin Rato per Legamus. It runs 30 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterward. This Legamus recording may be distributed and adapted freely for any purpose. Read by Martin Rato. The Alchemist by Howard Phillips Lovecraft High up, crowning the grassy summit of a swelling mount whose sides are wooded near the base with the gnarled trees of the primeval forest, stands the old chateau of my ancestors. For centuries its lofty battlements have frowned down upon the wild and rugged countryside about, serving as a home and stronghold for the proud house whose honored line is older even than the moss-grown castle walls. These ancient turrets, stained by the storms of generations and crumbling under the slow yet mighty pressure of time, formed in the ages of feudalism one of the most dreaded and formidable fortresses in all France, from its machicolated parapets and mounted battlements, barons, counts, and even kings had been defied, yet never had its spacious halls resounded to the footsteps of the invader. But since those glorious years all is changed. A poverty but little above the level of dire want together with a pride of name that forbids its alleviation by the pursuits of commercial life, have prevented the scions of our line from maintaining their estates in pristine splendor. And the falling stones of the walls, the overgrown vegetation in the parks, the dry and dusty moat, the ill-paved courtyards and toppling towers without, as well as the sagging floors, the worm-eaten wainscots, and the faded tapestries within, all tell a gloomy tale of fallen grandeur. As the ages passed, first one, then another of the four great turrets were left to ruin, until at last but a single tower housed the sadly reduced descendants of the once mighty lords of the estate. It was in one of the vast and gloomy chambers of this remaining tower that I, Antoine, last of the unhappy and accursed Counts de C, first saw the light of day ninety long years ago. Within these walls and amongst the dark and shadowy forests, the wild ravines and grottoes of the hillside below, were spent the first years of my troubled life. My parents I never knew. My father had been killed at the age of thirty-two, a month before I was born, by the fall of a stone somehow dislodged from one of the deserted parapets of the castle. And my mother, having died at my birth, 
My care and education devolved solely upon one remaining servitor, an old and trusted man of considerable intelligence, whose name I remember as Pierre. I was an only child, and the lack of companionship which this fact entailed upon me was augmented by the strange care exercised by my aged guardian in excluding me from the society of the peasant children whose abodes were scattered here and there upon the plains that surrounded the base of the hill. At that time, Pierre said that this restriction was imposed upon me because my noble birth placed me above association with such plebeian company. Now I know that its real object was to keep from my ears the idle tales of the dread curse upon our line that were nightly told and magnified by the simple tenantry as they conversed in hushed accents in the glow of their cottage hearths. Thus isolated and thrown upon my own resources, I spent the hours of my childhood in poring over the ancient tomes that filled the shadow-haunted library of the chateau, and in roaming without aim or purpose through the perpetual dust of the spectral wood that clothes the side of the hill near its foot. It was perhaps an effect of such surroundings that my mind early acquired a shade of melancholy. Those studies and pursuits which partake of the dark and occult in nature most strongly claimed my attention. Of my own race I was permitted to learn singularly little, yet what small knowledge of it I was able to gain seemed to depress me much. Perhaps it was at first only the manifest reluctance of my old preceptor to discuss with me my paternal ancestry that gave rise to the terror which I ever felt at the mention of my great house. Yet as I grew out of childhood I was able to piece together disconnected fragments of discourse, let slip from the unwilling tongue which had begun to falter in approaching senility, that had a sort of relation to a certain circumstance which I had always deemed strange, but which now became dimly terrible. The circumstance to which I allude is the early age at which all the counts of my line had met their end. Whilst I had hitherto considered this but a natural attribute of a family of short-lived men, I afterward pondered long upon these premature deaths, and began to connect them with the wanderings of the old man, who often spoke of a curse which for centuries had prevented the lives of the holders of my title from much exceeding the span of thirty-two years. Upon my twenty-first birthday, the aged Pierre gave to me a family document which he said had for many generations been handed down from father to son, and continued by each possessor, its contents were of the most startling nature, and its perusal confirmed the gravest of my apprehensions. At this time my belief in the supernatural was firm and deep-seated, else I should have dismissed with scorn the incredible narrative unfolded before my eyes. 
The paper carried me back to the days of the thirteenth century, when the old castle in which I sat had been a feared and impregnable fortress. It told of a certain ancient man who had once dwelled on our estates, a person of no small accomplishments, though little above the rank of peasant, by name Michel, usually designated by the surname of Mauvais, the evil, on account of his sinister reputation. He had studied beyond the custom of his kind, seeking such things as the philosopher's stone or the elixir of eternal life, and was reputed wise in the terrible secrets of black magic and alchemy. Michel Mauvais had one son, named Charles, a youth as proficient as himself in the hidden arts, who had therefore been called Le Sorcier, or The Wizard. This pair, shunned by all honest folk, were suspected of the most hideous practices. Old Michel was said to have burnt his wife alive as a sacrifice to the devil, and the unaccountable disappearance of many small peasant children was laid at the dreaded door of these two. Yet through the dark natures of the father and son ran one redeeming ray of humanity. The evil old man loved his offspring with fierce intensity, whilst the youth had for his parent a more than filial affection. One night... The castle on the hill was thrown into the wildest confusion by the vanishment of young Godfrey, son to Henri, the Count. A searching party headed by the frantic father invaded the cottage of the sorcerers, and there came upon old Michel Mauvais, busy over a huge and violently boiling cauldron. Without certain cause, in the ungoverned madness of fury and despair, the Count laid hands on the aged wizard, and ere he released his murderous hold, his victim was no more. Meanwhile, joyful servants were proclaiming the finding of young Godfrey in a distant and unused chamber of the great edifice, telling too late that poor Michel had been killed in vain. As the Count and his associates turned away from the lowly abode of the alchemist, the form of Charles the Sorcier appeared through the trees. The excited chatter of the menials standing about told him what had occurred, yet he seemed at first unmoved at his father's fate. Then, slowly advancing to meet the Count, he pronounced in dull yet terrible accents the curse that ever afterward haunted the house of C. May ne'er a noble of thy murderous line survive to reach a greater age than thine, spake he, when suddenly leaping backwards into the black woods, he drew from his tunic a phial of colorless liquid which he threw into the face of his father's slayer as he disappeared behind the inky curtain of the night. The Count 
died without utterance, and was buried the next day, but little more than two and thirty years from the hour of his birth. No trace of the assassin could be found, though relentless bands of peasants scoured the neighboring woods and the meadowland around the hill. Thus time and the want of a reminder dulled the memory of the curse in the minds of the late Count's family, so that when Godfrey, innocent cause of the whole tragedy and now bearing the title, was killed by an arrow whilst hunting at the age of thirty-two, there were no thoughts save those of grief at his demise. But when years afterwards the next young Count, Robert by name, was found dead in a nearby field of no apparent cause, the peasants told in whispers that their seigneur had but lately passed his thirty-second birthday when surprised by early death. Louis, son to Robert, was found drowned in the moat at the same fateful age, and thus down through the centuries ran the ominous chronicle. Henri, Robert, Antoine, and Armand, snatched from happy and virtuous lives when little below the age of their unfortunate ancestor at his murder. That I had left at most but eleven years of further existence was made certain to me by the words which I had read. My life, previously held at small value, now became dearer to me each day as I delved deeper and deeper into the mysteries of the hidden world of black magic. Isolated as I was, Modern science had produced no impression upon me, and I labored as in the Middle Ages, as rapt as had been old Michel and young Charles themselves, in the acquisition of demonological and alchemical learning. Yet read as I might, in no manner could I account for the strange curse upon my line. In unusually rational moments, I would even go so far as to seek a natural explanation, attributing the early deaths of my ancestors to the sinister Charles le Sorcier and his heirs. Yet having found upon careful inquiry that there were no known descendants of the alchemist, I would fall back to occult studies, and once more endeavor to find a spell that would release my house from its terrible burden. Upon one thing I was absolutely resolved. I should never wed, for since no other branch of my family was in existence, I might thus end the curse with myself. As I drew near the age of thirty, Old Pierre was called to the land beyond. Alone I buried him beneath the stones of the courtyard about which he had loved to wander in life. Thus was I left to ponder on myself as the only human creature within the great fortress, and in my utter solitude my mind began to cease its vain protest against the impending doom to become almost reconciled to the fate which so many of my ancestors had met. 
Much of my time was now occupied in the exploration of the ruined and abandoned halls and towers of the old chateau, which in youth fear had caused me to shun, and some of which old Pierre had once told me had not been trodden on by human foot for over four centuries. Strange and awesome were many of the objects I encountered. Furniture, covered by the dust of ages and crumbling with the rot of long dampness met my eyes. Cobwebs in a profusion never before seen by me were spun everywhere, and huge bats flapped their bony and uncanny wings on all sides of the otherwise untenanted gloom. Of my exact age, even down to days and hours, I kept a most careful record, for each movement of the pendulum of the massive clock in the library told off so much of my doomed existence. At length I approached that time which I had so long viewed with apprehension. Since most of my ancestors had been seized some little while before they reached the exact age of Count Henri at his end, I was every moment on the watch for the coming of the unknown death. In what strange form the curse should overtake me I knew not, but I was resolved at least that it should not find me a cowardly or a passive victim. With new vigor I applied myself to my examination of the old chateau and its contents. It was upon one of the longest of all my excursions of discovery in the deserted portion of the castle, less than a week before that fatal hour which I felt must mark the utmost limit of my stay on earth, beyond which I could not have even the slightest hope of continuing to draw breath, that I came upon the culminating event of my whole life. I had spent the better part of the morning in climbing up and down half-ruined staircases in one of the most dilapidated of the ancient turrets. As the afternoon progressed, I sought the lower levels, descending into what appeared to be either a medieval place of confinement or a more recently excavated storehouse for gunpowder. As I slowly traversed the nitre-encrusted passageway at the foot of the last staircase, the paving became very damp, and soon I saw by the light of my flickering torch that a blank, water-stained wall impeded my journey. Turning to retrace my steps, my eye fell upon a small trapdoor with a ring, which lay directly beneath my foot. Pausing, I succeeded with difficulty in raising it, whereupon there was revealed a black aperture, exhaling noxious fumes which caused my torch to sputter, and disclosing in the unsteady glare the top of a flight of stone steps. As soon as the torch which I lowered into the repellent depths burned freely and steadily, I commenced my descent. The steps were many, and led to a narrow stone-flagged passage which I knew must be far underground, 
this passage proved of great length and terminated in a massive oaken door dripping with the moisture of the place and stoutly resisting all my attempts to open it. Ceasing after a time my efforts in this direction, I had proceeded back some distance toward the steps, when there suddenly fell to my experience one of the most profound and maddening shocks capable of reception by the human mind. Without warning I heard the heavy door behind me creak slowly open upon its rusted hinges. My immediate sensations were incapable of analysis. To be confronted in a place as thoroughly deserted as I deemed the old castle, with evidence of the presence of man or spirit, produced in my brain a horror of the most acute description, when at last I turned and faced the seat of the sound. My eyes must have started from their orbits at the sight that they beheld. There, in the ancient Gothic doorway, stood a human figure. It was that of a man clad in a skullcap and long medieval tunic of dark color. His long hair and flowing beard were of a terrible and intense black hue and of incredible profusion. His forehead, high beyond the usual dimensions, his cheeks deep-sunken and heavily lined with wrinkles, and his hands long, claw-like and gnarled were of such a deadly marble-like whiteness as I have never elsewhere seen in man. His figure, lean to the proportions of a skeleton, was strangely bent and almost lost within the voluminous folds of his peculiar garment. But strangest of all were his eyes, twin caves of abysmal blackness, profound in expression of understanding, yet inhuman in degree of wickedness. These were now fixed upon me, piercing my soul with their hatred, and rooting me to the spot whereon I stood. At last the figure spoke in a rumbling voice that chilled me through with its dull hollowness and latent malevolence. The language in which the discourse was clothed was that debased form of Latin in use amongst the more learned men of the Middle Ages, and made familiar to me by my prolonged researches into the works of the old alchemists and demonologists. The apparition spoke of the curse which had hovered over my house, told me of my coming end dwelt on the wrong perpetrated by my ancestor against old Michel Mauvais, and gloated over the revenge of Charles le Sorcier. He told how young Charles had escaped into the night, returning after years to kill Godfrey the heir with an arrow just as he approached the age which had been his father's at his assassination how he had secretly returned to the estate and established himself unknown in the even then deserted subterranean chamber whose doorway now framed the hideous narrator, how he had seized Robert, son of Godfrey, in a field, forced poison down his throat, 
and left him to die at the age of thirty-two, thus maintaining the foul provisions of his vengeful curse. At this point I was left to imagine the solution of the greatest mystery of all, how the curse had been fulfilled since that time, when Charles le Sorcier must in the course of nature have died, for the man digressed into an account of the deep alchemical studies of the two wizards, father and son, speaking most particularly of the researches of Charles le Sorcier concerning the elixir which should grant to him who partook of it eternal life and youth. His enthusiasm had seemed for the moment to remove from his terrible eyes the black malevolence that had at first so haunted me. But suddenly the fiendish glare returned, and with a shocking sound like the hissing of a serpent, the stranger raised a glass file with the evident intent of ending my life as had Charles Orsier six hundred years before ended that of my ancestor. Prompted by some preserving instinct of self-defense, I broke through the spell that had hitherto held me immovable, and flung my now dying torch at the creature who menaced my existence. I heard the file break harmlessly against the stones of the passage as the tunic of the strange man caught fire and lit the horrid scene with a ghastly radiance. The shriek of fright and impotent malice emitted by the would-be assassin proved too much for my already shaken nerves, and I fell prone upon the slimy floor in a total faint. When at last my senses returned, all was frightfully dark, and my mind, remembering what had occurred, shrank from the idea of beholding any more. Yet curiosity overmastered all. Who, I asked myself, was this man of evil, and how came he within the castle walls? Why should he seek to avenge the death of Michel Mauvais, and how had the curse been carried on through all the long centuries since the time of Charles de Sorcier? The dread of years was lifted from my shoulder, for I knew that he whom I had felled was the source of all my danger from the curse. And now that I was free, I burned with the desire to learn more of the sinister thing which had haunted my line for centuries and made of my own youth one long-continued nightmare. Determined upon further exploration, I felt in my pockets for flint and steel and lit the unused torch which I had with me. First of all, new light revealed the distorted and blackened form of the mysterious stranger. The hideous eyes were now closed. Disliking the sight, I turned away and entered the chamber beyond the Gothic door. Here I found what seemed much like an alchemist's laboratory. In one corner was an immense pile of shining yellow metal that sparkled gorgeously in the light of the torch. It may have been gold, but I did not pause to examine it, 
for I was strangely affected by that which I had undergone. At the farther end of the apartment was an opening leading out into one of the many wild ravines of the dark hillside forest. Filled with wonder, yet now realizing how the man had obtained access to the chateau, I proceeded to return. I had intended to pass by the remains of the stranger with averted face, but as I approached the body I seemed to hear emanating from it a faint sound, as though life were not yet wholly extinct. Aghast I turned to examine the charred and shriveled figure on the floor. Then all at once the horrible eyes, blacker even than the seared face in which they were set, opened wide with an expression which I was unable to interpret. The cracked lips tried to frame words which I could not well understand. Once I caught the name of Charles le Sorcier, and again I fancied that the words years and curse issued from the twisted mouth. Still I was at a loss to gather the purport of his disconnected speech. At my evident ignorance of his meaning, the pitchy eyes once more flashed malevolently at me, until, helpless as I saw my opponent to be, I trembled as I watched him. Suddenly the wretch, animated with his last burst of strength, raised his piteous head from the damp and sunken pavement. Then, as I remained paralyzed with fear, he found his voice, and in his dying breath screamed forth those words which have ever afterward haunted my days and nights. Fool, he shrieked, can you not guess my secret? Have you no brain whereby you may recognize the will which has through six long centuries fulfilled the dreadful curse upon the house? Have I not told you of the great elixir of eternal life? Know you not how the secret of alchemy was solved? I tell you it is I, 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 that have lived for six hundred years to maintain my revenge— for I am Charles Orsier. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. Hello, I'm Terrence. Hi, I'm Misa. I am Julie. We're going to talk about The Alchemist by H.P. Lovecraft. This was first published in November 1916 issue of the United Amateur. Uh, written in 1908 when Lovecraft was 17 or 18 years old. Um, it is consistently left out of his his collections, uh, along with another short story uh, written around the same age, I think a little before this one, um, which most people know about, I think, better than this one. It's called The Beast in the Cave. I think we talked about that in an uh, earlier Lovecraft episode. That's and when he was 14. Was it? Okay. Yes. Um, not not Ermintrude? Uh, that is a collaboration. I think there are a number... Isn't that a... I'm pretty sure that's a, a collaboration. And there are a number of ones that are sort of misfits. But this is... Uh, 
is a straight up Lovecraft story written by Lovecraft. It is got all the weird elements. It's not a comedy piece. It's it's uh, not about amateur journalism. It is a straight up Lovecraft story, and it's sort of the least popular, I would say, of all of them. And uh, it's the very last. Ep- it's the very last part of the very last episode of. H.P. Lovecraft literary podcasts covering of H.P. Lovecraft stories. Um, <laughs> so they left it for the very end, right? <laughs> um, and they didn't like it very much. I, th- I think they liked The Beast in the Cave a little more. Um, but I think it's it, it does have some issues for sure. Um, but I think its opening is 100% perfect, basically. I mean, maybe there'd be a couple of things you could make a little better but it's got a great great opening it's nice and short um it, i think the ending has some serious issues <laughs> but I, I really like it i really like ending, it what ending it just yeah it sort of peters around and then uh, swoons and then gets up and wanders around some more and then swoons and then th- there's the surprise that's no surprise because we had it like <laughs> way earlier I think it's the one that um, at the end it made me the happiest because I was just laughing so much. It is <laughs> so pretty funny, funny, yeah. It is pretty funny. <laughs> I think the ending is perfect. Yeah. Uh, I I like I really like the actual ending, but I mean the ending comes pages before that. Right? <laughs> like he's he's been he's confronted the guy, um, and then <laughs> we we know the explanation, but we don't actually get those words until the very last lines, right? Yeah, it's um, a very dramatic reveal that didn't maybe yeah, yeah. need to be that dramatic. It's, I'm not uh, sure. <laughs> if you were to film this, um, I think uh, you could do a very good job of just having the exact story as it is, but make the narrator incredibly, uh, because he's so inbred for some reason, incredibly dense. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 get, to, get weirdly top, to get weirdly topical, you could add one more line to the story in this modern age. Boy, I'm Charles the Sorcerer, and then you can have our narrator say, okay, boomer. <laughs> he's, he's a boomer uh, after the Black Death in the Middle Ages. <laughs> yes. Okay, Black Deather. <laughs> yeah. I would have said, okay, Tythonus. Oh, nice reference there, Terrence. I don't care. Ex- explain it you, for me. You never heard Tyth- Tythonus? You explain the myth to him. Uh,. Tythonus um, was a, a, a mortal who um, was taken as a lover by um, uh, Aos, the goddess of dawn, and he wanted to live with her forever. So um, Aos asked um, Zeus, I think, um, to give the gift of immortality, uh-huh. which she did, but she forgot or didn't realize she had to ask for the gift of eternal youth. I know this story. So he just uh-huh. got older and older and older, and he sort of just couldn't use his um, limbs anymore and sort of just folded up and mm. became a creaky voice. And so he was turned at the end out of mercy, because gods are merciful. Mm-hmm. Um, after a few thousand years, he was turned into a cricket. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's one of those, yeah, Greek myths with an unhappy ending. I know most. <laughs> I know it's most Greek myths, but still, yeah. Like, there was a whole the whole series of those myths, like like age, age aging forever. Like um, what's his name? Um, the hunt the hunter that Celine fell in love with. So he, she made him basically sleep forever, so he could. And Demian, yeah. So mm-hmm. yes, it's like all, all cautionary tales about wanting to live forever. You're gonna get a a bad version of it. Either you get turned to a cricket, or you sleep forever, or what have you? Or, 
Oh, there's always Cassandra who wanted prophecy, and when she wouldn't sleep with Apollo, he gave her a prophecy, but made made it so no one would ever believe her. Yeah, yeah. So be, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Yep. Yep. Count your fingers and your toes and your relatives. Which which goes into the story. So so we ha- we have we have Charles the Sorcerer who who has his father get killed. And so, as a result, he starts killing the line at the exact same age that this that uh, his father died, age thirty two. But it it just seems so weird. I mean, because he's living forever, just kill, waiting for these these uh, heirs to get to thirty two <laughs> and die. Why doesn't he just kill the entire line and just be done with it and go do it about his business? He has to wait around for years for this guy to age. That's why it is a comedy. Because I mean, uh, look at what he's doing. If you look at the description of his body. Right, he's he's got claws for hands. He's still wearing his same old clothes. Like he hasn't got new clothes yeah, in six hundred years. Mm-hmm. He, he's 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 a, he's skeletal. He's super pale. Right, his forehead is a, you know a giant uh, bone. Basically, he's a lich essentially. Right. Um, and he's so slow that even silly Antoine can uh, yes uh, beat him. And Antoine, who is incredibly dense. <laughs> In many ways. <laughs> and now, who, uh, I, there's a really, like, there's a number of incredibly weird phenomena going on in the meta stuff about this story. Like, who is telling the story and why? Okay, it's Antoine. And why is he telling us age 90? Well, that means he lived past 32. Uh huh. Did he get married? No? Okay, then who is he telling this to? Is it his kid? No? He said, I'm never getting married. Well, did he get married? Now, I think there are subversive ways of reading it, but I think that the, these things are just things that Lovecraft wasn't particularly interested in. <laughs> and that's why we don't know the answers to these questions. But um, I do, I'm a big fan of um, uh, a particular Poe story, and I think this one was off, I think is one that Poe, I think it's one Lovecraft was inspired by particularly. It's a very similar story um, in size um, and a very similar story in structure, at least in a couple of ways, but uh, generally quite different. Um, And that one I'm thinking of is called, anybody got any guesses? No? The Oval Portrait. That's exactly right. It's the Oval Portrait. All right. Uh, I I, I bring this one up a lot because I I love that story. But um, there are words in common. So I'm going to just read the opening of the Oval Portrait, and then I'm going to read the first two sentences of this story. Uh, Here's the Oval Portrait. The chateau into which my valet had ventured to make forcible entrance, rather than permit me in my desperately wounded condition to pass a night in the open air, was one of those piles of commingled gloom and grandeur which have so long frowned among the Apennines, not less, in fact, than in the fancy of Mrs. Radcliffe. It's a great opening first sentence. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's set in Italy. Huh? It's set in Italy, um, and it is uh, basically the plot of this is uh, the narrator has been wounded somehow. Uh, we know from a previous version of the story that it was bandits, banditti attacked them, um, and uh, they take refuge in this abandoned castle. Um, inside all the the house has been very recently abandoned, including like there's food on the table that's still warm and there's a candle that's been snuffed out, but there's still smoke coming off of it. Right. 
And then they just go up into a particular garret or a turret, I should say. And uh, the servant goes to sleep and the wounded narrator picks up a book and reads about uh, presumably the ancestors or the scions of the house that is the house he's in. And there's a particular portrait on the wall. And then it ends in a very similar way as this one does. Um, So I'm just going to read the first uh, couple of sentences of The Alchemist. High up, crowning the grassy summit of a swelling mount whose sides are wooded near the base with the gnarled trees of the primeval forest, stands the old chateau of my ancestors. For centuries, its lofty battlements have frowned down upon the wild and rugged countryside about, serving as a home and stronghold for the proud house whose honored line is older even than the moss-grown castle walls. So the real connection uh, for me... It's like, oh yeah, frowned. <laughs> the castles are, the chateaus are frowning, right? Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. both chateaus and they both frown. And in fact, um, when I first was reading this story with a student, I was noticing all the, uh, it's not it's not metonymy, is it? Is that the word where you take a body part and you make it a uh, thing? Yeah, like, uh, I think that's all hands on deck, right? The Sailors yeah, become hands. Yeah, so synecdoche. Synecdoche, maybe that's it, uh, what it is. One of those fancy words. Anyways, <laughs> um, uh, so crowning the grassy summit, right? So the castle crowns, mm. you've actually got a hill or a castle, uh, right? And then it's, it's frowning. And then we find out that there is this, um, uh, the growth of the forest is only on the sides of the castle. So it's almost like we're looking at the side of an old man wearing a crown and he's lost his hair right and then in it's, fact no go for it it's wooded around the base and has a head yep oh well i see what you're saying <laughs> um uh except it's also clothed oh. Oh. it's also it's also clothed later on so i'm i think my reading is probably uh less sexual <laughs> but also uh equally appropriate given the crowning um, and the fact that they're, you know, <clears throat> mentioning of kings and stuff like that. In any case, yep. I, 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 all the women in this story are immediately killed. That's the important part, right? Charles Le Sorcier's mom sacrificed to the devil. <laughs> um, and, uh, Antoine's, and Antoine's mom dies in childbirth, right? And you notice that there's 600 years. Apparently they never had any girls. Nope, girls. Uh, girls are unimportant for this story. Mm. And what's that? Twenty-five generations, <laughs> at least. Yeah, we know. We know that they had to have their kids before the age of thirty-two. Yeah, but you know, it's still, it's like thirty-two generations without any girls being born. Yeah, I, I kept thinking of Crusader Kings too. Is like, yeah, that's not plausible. This is not without work. <laughs> Now, uh, there is another connection, um, I think, to that story. And I, I mentioned it earlier, the, en- the ending, the way they both end. I'm just going to scroll to the end of the Oval Portrait, and I'll read that end of that. Um, so for all those who have not read the Oval Portrait, you should. It's really, really fun. Um, but uh, basically, um, the, there's a bit of alchemy or witchcraft or something going on that the painter is painting his wife and he paints her so so well he doesn't notice that every 
every stroke of his uh, brush sucks the life out of her actual body and into the paint uh, to make the painting so lifelike, right? Damn. And it ends like this. And then the brush was given, and then the tint was placed, and for one moment the painter stood entranced before the work which he had wrought. Uh, W-R-O-U-G-H-T. But in the text, while... Uh, sorry, but in the next, while he yet gazed, he grew tremulous and very pallid and aghast and crying with a loud voice, this is indeed life itself, turned <laughs> suddenly to regard his beloved. She was dead. <laughs> okay. To regard his beloved, she said, get over it. <laughs> Dude, stop spending all your time painting me. Um, like, Dad, now come over here and get a selfie. <laughs> I, I'm going to read the ending of of uh, The Alchemist. We, the we, we have a guest. Yes. Uh, here we go. Fool! He, he shrieked. Can you not guess my secret? Have you no brain whereby you may recognize the will which has through six long centuries fulfilled the dreadful curse upon your house, upon the house? Have I not told no. you of the great elixir of eternal life? Know you not how the secret of alchemy was solved? I tell you, it is I, 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 that have lived for 600 years to maintain my revenge, for I am Charles Le Sorcier. It's like, yeah, we knew that. I love that yeah. ending. I, yeah, me too. There's like a thing the just be- before. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry. Does anybody else think mm-hmm. that um, now he's 90? When that, that line, that line, mm-hmm. do you not know how the secret of alchemy was solved, and th- and now he's the alchemist? I think, he's- I think that's absolutely a possibility that is so undercooked that it, it it's only it's a possibility, right? But but no, he talks about it the whole yeah, way it's... through. I've been studying these texts. Mm-hmm. I've been reading these texts. I've been living like a medieval, a middle aged person, like a person from the Middle Ages. Yep. I, I think that's Latin. what it. Huh? Yeah. He speaks uh, Latin, Latin. middle aged Latin. He speaks yeah. Latin. Like the that's who's, he's telling the story because he is him. That's now. what that's what I'm saying is that if you if you don't stick only to the te- if you stick only to the text, it doesn't tell you that. But the meta text, like why are we being told this story? In one possibility is that this is this thing that we're reading is the document that has been ha- it's the new document that has been handed down from father to son etc cetera, etc cetera. like uh Charles Le Sorcier's curse this is the new document telling the new family now that he's got all this gold right, why is that gold there right um cuz that was one of the best things that alchemists <laughs> were after well yes yeah, no no but it's there for for our Antoine to Right, rebuild the estate in a, mm, se- a certain right. sense, right? It, what's the purpose of having it in the story? Is is like, well, this is alchemist, and apparently he doesn't leave the house, right? He never leaves. He, there is an exit. I guess he has to get some yes, food he unless he conjures. Yeah, killed at least one person, but he only outside. leaves. He only leaves uh, like he's still wearing his same clothes, right? So he's he's not like doing a lot of physical labor outside the home, right? I think he's basically in there basically sitting in a chair waiting for the guy to grow up and then kill him and then wait another 32 years right 
he's not doing a lot of activity, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you think about why having all this gold there is and why he explains the secret of alchemy and all that stuff, yeah, it's almost like Antoine has these secrets now and he's and passing it on. What are you going to say, Terence? He kills him with fire, which is a, an alchemical weapon. The whole basis of alchemy is fire. So symbolically, he is the alchemist now. Mm-hmm. And, and notice that the relationship between the two men is, and the two families is in fact so intertwined as that the only ones who this, like, is it's all about the other, right? So they have this curse, they don't know what's causing it. He is cursed to fulfill his curse, which is basically spending all your time <laughs> in the same place making gold. And brewing up elixir to keep you alive so that you can kill the same like when after the first but, couple of generations, I would totally not be killing this this family. Or, I would move or, or on. Just kill the entire family and just move on. It's like, okay, wipe them all out and then just go and do whatever you want, rather than sitting around brewing this elixir waiting for someone to get to th- age thirty two every time. So yeah, that's why I, I thought like, that, that guy is actually cursed. Like the guy yes, that's yeah. like cursed yes. to sit in a little room for yes. six hundred years. It's yeah. <laughs> in the comic, there's a sort of biblical explanation. He he, he says expiation um, can't um, come after um, just one generation. There has to be um, ten thousand generations. Sure what I think. Yeah. Yes, ten thousand generations. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel sorry for Charles because he's. I think he's cursed and he's stuck in this room. He has to just like pop out to kill yeah. members of this family every now and then. <laughs> And not only that, they're all really dumb. So they live in so the same m- castle. Yeah, and then when <laughs> he finally kills him, he has to, like, uh, when he gets killed, sorry, he has to, like, take the last of his energy to come back and be like, you idiot. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> but but he, he may not even be dead. He may, he, he can't talk anymore That's right. because he's totally um, burnt up. But yeah. Because he has yeah. eternal life, the elixir of eternal life, he may just be a sort of a, a bunch of uh, black uh, blob. Uh, oh, my God. That's awful. Yeah. That's an annoying <laughs> voice in your head forever. Well, this, is a, this, is, a, this is a theme <laughs> that we see in later Lovecraft stories. So, like, if you had presented me as this is the first Lovecraft story I ever read, I would not be able to recognize it as Lovecraft. But mm-hmm. having read so many, I would say, look at how many of these have the same theme. I mean, Charles Dexter Ward, right? Mm-hmm. That is the same theme. Um, for all the folks who haven't read Charles Dexter Ward, um, it's about a lich who basically uh, inhabits uh, the body of one of his own descendants in order to bring his own body back to life. It's it's pretty creepy, yeah. and of course, uh, Marissa, you were on for the show we did on, um, and Paul, of course, was the thing on the doorstep. The thing on the doorstep, which is the same mm-hmm. thing, but through sorcery rather than, and through I guess the f- transfer of consciousness rather than th- through physical um, restoration of immortality. True. One thing also. Um, oh, sorry. Go for it. That the. the uh, the ancestral papers passed down. That's totally re- rewritten. That that entire paragraph, I swear, is almost identical in Rats on the Walls. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, that it's the same family curse, except that one is it's within, right? It's it's not within yeah. the the castle. And yes, it is within the castle. There, it's in it's within the the um, the type. And 
and in that adaptation, uh, there's a great adaptation by HPLHS of the Rats in the Walls. Um, mm-hmm. They make it explicitly clear, like how, like they show the scenes where the letter is lost. So, um, the Dulapore family is the family um, uh, who are have a an ancient curse upon them, right? And they flee to America, but then there are slave owners in Southern Plantation, United States, and there's a fire, and the letter is lost. And the child is not old enough to have read the letter yet, so he doesn't know about the family curse. What's he do? He goes home. (laughs) He goes back to the homeland and uh, causes the whole curse to start up again. Right. Hmm. As, as a side note, there's also an excellent version of adaptation of the Rats and Walls made by me. Yes, there is. <laughs> Although uh, I haven't heard it lately, the HPLHS one just came out. Uh, I think it was last year, or maybe it's yeah. a couple years ago. Well, yours is at least five, six years old, right? Uh, try twelve? No, try ten. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Nine years old. Yeah, we got to get some yeah. of those out on the uh, and back into the public consciousness because. Uh, you're, uh, new, you've got a lot of Twitter handles, so it's hard to keep track. But your latest one is called Audio Drama. What is it? it, it well, it's AD Infinitum, Audio Drama Infinitum. Right. And this is it's a specific new subventure to promote audio dramas, all of them, so that I can collect up all their audiences and then promote my shows to them. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, it's. But, it's, they, but the you're idea. doing amateur audio drama rather than professional uh, audio I'm drama, doing, I guess? I'm I'm doing free audio drama. Yeah, same difference. I I would say podcast audio drama, right? Yeah. So, so I'm uh, not doing, I don't think you've you know, tweeted about Mice's yet. About which Mice's podcast? Um, Mice's uh, Mice is one of the people in this conversation. <laughs> oh, I'm yes. sorry. Yes, hello, Julie. What's your which, which <laughs> one's yours? Uh, Ace Galaxy, the destiny of Special Agent Ace Galaxy. And it's an excellent okay. podcast. I'll- Oh, as long as it's free, I will. I'm happy to. I've been. I've just been searching and finding more and more shows, and so it's it's all as like as I find it, and it's surprising how many don't actually really connect up to each other. No, I mean, there's so many shows out there that are like, oh my god, I didn't realize there were so many other shows out there. And it's been going on for so long. So uh, most of the ones you tweet about, I notice I don't, I don't recognize. But then every once in a Mm -hmm. while, there's like, oh yeah, when audio drama started on on podcasting, I remember that one. And I hadn't heard it since, you know, 10 years or whatever it is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pulling anything that can be downloaded at this point and I'm trying to categorize them. That's what the borders I put on them are for. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, from the vault or long dead ones. And some of them are just complete stories, however old they are. And some of them are, you know, current, but I'm not sure about and some are new episodes. And I'm, I'm still getting it all down, getting it all down to some kind of science. Ultimately, I, what I want to do is find a way to advertise AD infinitum outside of audio drama to bring new listeners in because if you could advertise a place where there's a lot of material like that it's easier than advertising one show that's putting out a one group that's putting out one or two shows a month Mm -hmm. you know so it's it's a long-term project because part of it's also just building up the audio drama communities you know that they're consciousness of ad infinitum because then they trust me to do something like that Mm -hmm. 
Uh, if you were going to do this one as an audio drama, you'd do it as a comedy, wouldn't you? I, you know, this would be a difficult one. I, I, because it, it, since it is essentially single person narrative yeah. throughout, I mean, to change it into a story, you'd have to have. I mean, there, there's a number of things that would have to happen, and frankly, I would probably go. I'd probably make the sorcerer a lot more interesting, but <laughs> well, there's the essentially was, there's two I mean, characters in the whole thing, right? Yeah, I mean, essentially the phone call is coming from inside the house, right? Right. right. Yeah. You know, so um, I definitely but, want to read a story about the alchemist himself, though, like what he's doing in that room. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I well, you know, I pretty have, sad story. I could totally, I could totally see him if you've ever seen. Um, uh, the House of Long Shadows. <laughs> uh, there's a character that's trapped in a room in there and finding out. Oh, what's it called? The House of Long Shadows. It's the only movie that stars Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Vincent Price, John Carradine, and Desi Arnaz Jr. <laughs> it's, I can't say it's good, but it is very gothic, which actually kind of goes with this. Because, I mean, really what this story is, is... Is gothic. It's a gothic. Absolutely. It's, and it's uh, there's a line in here. Twist. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, can I? Yeah, go for it's it. It's Lovecraft's little twist on the gothic. Because you've got all these gothic stories that are like, oh, there's a curse on the house and it's a curse. And it's really a curse. And so we just die. And then this one turns out it's not actually a curse. It's a serial killer. Well, let's talk, let's mean, talk about this a bit. So uh, the the traditional gothic, right? The Castle of Otranto, yeah. that sort of gothic. There is a curse, and there's the idea that there's a supernatural, right? There's a super. Everybody thinks there's supernatural explanations for why these terrible things are happening in the castle. So, a giant chandelier collapses, and a giant hand is seen, right, um, yeah. knocking it down. But at the end of a traditional gothic, like. Every Andy have a good Scooby Doo, mo- oh, oh, not modern, not modern oh, Scooby Doo, yeah. but traditional Scooby Doo. It is a, a naturalistic explanation. Now, yeah. in the case of um, the story of Edgar Allan Poe's The Oval Portrait, um, <laughs> it is set up like a gothic, and then we get this sort of uh, narrative within the narrative. Right, it's a framed story. And then it's cut off at like the end. Like a framed painting? <laughs> it, absolutely. Uh, Poe is incredibly clever with what he's doing there because it, he's got a whole... The framing for the story of the Oval Portrait is actually bigger than the actual portrait itself. The, all the stuff about the actual portrait. So getting him into the castle, not explaining how he got there, not explaining what happened to the residents of the castle, right? All of that is left unexplained. Then we get the this story of how the family uh, presumably, you know, died. The, the husband killed the wife by painting her to death. Um, but that's never explained other than there's the painting on the wall in this book about it. Right. So, uh, it's not a breaking of the rules of the, of the Gothic. It's just saying, cutting it off and saying, Ooh, spooky. Right. Whereas here, uh, on the version I, I think the PDF I sent you guys, it's the second to last page, page 155. We actually get a calling out. Listen to this. 
First of all, new light revealed the distorted and blackened form of the mysterious stranger. The hideous eyes were now closed. Disliking the sight, I turned away and entered the chamber beyond the gothic door. Right? Mm-hmm. So, he has he's leaving the gothic. Now, what's so funny is if you go back to the beginning of the story, he says that he was very... Um, he was very wondering about his father and his ancestors and what's going on with his family. And his servant, Pierre, was like, no, 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 don't talk about it. But he pieced it together, right? And then he's, uh, age 21, he's given a paper, right? And the paper uh, is funny because he says something incredibly funny about it, Um I'm going to read it here. Upon my 21st birthday, the aged Pierre gave to me a family document, which he, ha- which he said had for many generations been handed down from father to son and continued by each possessor. Its contents were of the most startling nature, and its perusal confirmed the gravest of my apprehensions. I love how he's pushing away what it actually is going to be revealed, right? Uh, in, in fact, earlier in this paragraph, he did the exact same thing. This is so Lovecraft. I love him so much. I was I was able to piece together disconnected fragments of the discourse let slip from the unwilling tongue which had begun to falter in the approaching senility that had a sort of relation to a certain circumstance which I had always deemed strange, <laughs> but which now became dimly terrible. So he's pushing it away, like uh, certain certain circum like uh, ask me ask me where I got this sandwich. I got it from a certain place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then he says in the next sentence, um, he, he does the exact se- he does the reveal. The circumstance to which I allude at the early age, right? Okay. So going back to the letter, its contents were of the most startling nature and its perusal confirmed the gravest of my apprehensions. At this time, my belief in the supernatural was firm <laughs> and deep-seated else I should have dismissed with scorn the incredible narrative unfolded before my eyes. Again, he's pushing it away because we still haven't seen the contents. But what's so funny is he's saying, he's handed this letter and it says, you have a curse upon your family and every generation of man when he turns 32, he will die mysteriously. And he says, of course! (laughs) Because he's been studying the occult books in the library, right? Now, he says, at that time, my belief in the supernatural was firm, which makes us think that his belief in the supernatural is no longer firm, right? At age 90? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, when he gets to this, uh, this gothic door, and he swoons, right? He literally faints, like every great Lovecraft character does. (laughs) Not everyone. (laughs) Pretty much. What does he do? He, 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 is, he is confronted with a, uh, and they touch on this in the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast, that this is not an actual curse. So if you look up curse, usually it has something to do with magic, right? This witch, she put, a, and in fact, this sorcery in this, uh, in this story, it goes like this. He pronounced in a dull yet terrible accents the curse that, Ever afterward haunted the house of C, that's C, and blank, that's a very Poe thing to do, 
Poe era thing to do. May ne'er a noble of this murderous line survive to reach a greater age than mm. thine. So this is uh, straight out of Shakespeare, right? If you want to make a uh, curse, you make it rhyme. <laughs> and then he, that's the magic spell that he casts. But he actually d- apparently doesn't have any actual magic. So he can't just, like, make the supernatural forces uh, make him die mysteriously somehow. Like, uh, the rocks of the castle fall from the parapet. That was that was uh, Charles Le Sorcier pushing that rock. <laughs> Right, yeah. um, so funny to me that this dude is just it's, running it's, around exactly. throwing stones on people. Yeah, it's, it's more it is like a, a comedy. curse, like he's he's sworn yeah. that he's going to do this rather than that's he's right. actually using any supernatural forces to make because it happen. He, you know, all the st- the story about his his um, <laughs> I've got a little drawing here. Uh, Charles Le Sorcier is he the son of the devil? The father, the the father uh, sacrificed his mom to the devil by burning her. Right. Presumably, mm-hmm. she gave birth prior to the burning. So not, <laughs> I hope so. It's not exactly. Or during. Yeah. Or during. Right? <laughs> and then, oh. sort of like alien, it could have burst out. That's right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, the story oh. is getting bitter and bitter. It is pretty interesting. <laughs> and the description here. Oh, the other, the other, uh, one of the other ones, the, he died before his child was born. So you have a. Uh, that's a parallel there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's so many parallels between the two families that it's 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 why you want to read it as a meta, uh, the meta stuff and like what why is he writing this letter all that stuff. But listen to this. Yet through the dark natures of the father and the son ran one redeeming ray of humanity. The evil old man loved his offspring with a fierce intensity, while the youth had for his parent a more than filial affection. I'm yeah, like, I, I yeah. Know. What, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I wonder that too. Like, is are we talking about inc- weird incest here? That's or what, what I'm saying. So I've got a picture of Charles Le Sorcier who looks like the like a I don't know baby devil, and he says, "You killed my stepdad's or my, my stepdad slash lover because <laughs> yeah. it's his stepdad because his real dad's the devil apparently." So we don't, uh, we don't not know what's uh-huh. going on. But what we do know is that he, he's an alchemist, not a sorcerer. This, this accusation that he is a sorcerer is something that the medieval peasants and the community around there put on them, right? Charles the Evil is not his last name, right? Or, uh, uh, it's not Charles, but, uh, Michael, Michel Mauvais. That's not his last name. That's the last name mm-hmm. he's given, Right. So the sorcier is not his last name. That's the last name he's given. They're alchemists. And alchemy, although it's mysterious and sort of related to the occult, it is not actually magic. It has the appearance of magic, right? So how this curse was implemented is the guy said, I figured out a way to make gold out of lead. Uh, although that has nothing to do with this story particularly. <laughs> um, and I also learned how to make the elixir of life, uh, which I'm using to keep myself alive so I can implement this curse. Um, and but that's isn't the, that the actual same thing. That's exactly right. Is the curse is that he is cursed himself in a sense 
by saying, I got to do this. Oh, yeah, um, he's he's cursed himself. But I mean, also, isn't the like the Philosopher's Stone, it turns things it into turns gold, yes, lead into gold and is also the elixir of life? Like, it's that's mm, the same thing. I right? don't think it's necessarily uh, the same thing, no. Uh, uh Philosopher's uh, Stone, it, yes, it, it could be things move around. So, uh, the difference between a uh, stone and an elixir is the not um clear cut. The Philosopher's Stone can be uh, liquid. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it does both things. And notice he's also got a third thing, which is the burning liquid, right? Which is some sort of acid that he threw on the the progenitor of the the progenitor Mm -hmm. of the family, and also accidentally spilled on himself. Apparently, Um, in the comic book, um, I, I think the only person to read the comic book other than me is Terrence. Is that right? I did not read it. Okay. I couldn't open it. Okay. Oh, okay. I read it. But, uh, I don't think I got it. I just want to add that um, the servant is called Pierre, which means stone. Oh. Uh, huh. Okay. He may be a, a golem. <laughs> but also so the maybe Philosopher's he's... Stone was as much a reagent as anything else. It was the, the thing that you added to something to make it work. It's a catalyst. So it could have been used, yeah, catalyst. So it could have been used in a number of processes to make lead to gold and to make the elixir. Yes. Yeah, there was the, it was the single component oh. that if you found it, you could do a lot of different things. I think basically what it is, is it's saying like, to middle ages people there's this stuff called dna right and yeah. and it's we and and they say dna oh that's magic right well uh, what, what i love about the ending of this story is that he passes through the get of the gothic door right and then we have this elaborate ending that takes forever to get to the actual point that we thought and i was thinking well that's stupid right and the, i think it's stupid because it's so obvious who this guy is as soon as we basically see him right we're set up for it so why does lovecraft do it and i thought he's actually might he might be making this really interesting point um so he says here i found what seemed much like an alchemist laboratory that's because it is an alchemist laboratory right in one corner was an immense pile of shining yellow metal that sparkled gorgeously in the light of the torch and then he says it may have been gold but i did not pause to examine it (laughs) Even though his family's been poor for generation upon generation, right? For I was strangely leaving the gold alone. Yeah, yeah. I was strangely affected by that which I had undergone passing through the Gothic door. Right at the farther end of the apartment was an opening leading out into one of the many wild ravines of the dark hillside forest. Now there's almost the dark of the hillside thickets there too, isn't it? Um, And and in fact. Earlier, I noticed this strange phenomenon. Um, the boy uh, of uh, Antoine, he spent his time, listen to this, within these walls and amongst the dark and shadowy forests, the wild ravines and grottos of the hillside below were spent the first years of my troubled life. And in fact, he talks about the word dusty twice, as including the forest is dusty. I'm like, a dusty That's- forest? That's kind of huh. weird, right? And it's very reminiscent of the outsider. It is. It's the outsider, yeah. right? It totally is the outsider. And and he, he has the, the actual same the books. Yeah, and and, and the, the climb, solitude. right? The climb down and the exploration yep. and he's got he's mm-hmm. also got the uh servant who he doesn't really know and who died very when, you know, 
Uh, no. It was, and so he's he's got this education, I, and I think maybe in trying to sell this to Misa and everyone else, um, I was saying when I first started reading this, I was convinced that the family curse was that he had a dragon head <laughs> because he he was not allowed to talk to the the kids of the village, right? And he was told that you know that they that they were not suitable for a person of his level right and i thought maybe the castle has no mirrors right <laughs> he's not if allowed you to go into your mouth you'll kill them but, uh, if you go down into town they'll recognize you for the for the dragon the dragon-headed boy that you are and they'll you know they they say bad things about you but if you don't ever meet them and then uh, the reason i'm thinking that is because i'd read the outsider right he doesn't know what he is but he's perhaps yeah. taken the elixir of eternal life and he's so old that he's decomposed and he's forgotten that's, how he yeah, got that way. I, that's a very subversive huh. reading. There is no Charles Le Sorcier, right? He is. But he's Charles forgotten. Charles Le Sorcier, yeah. That's right. Ah. Uh, uh, Mice, you're not a major, major Lovecraft fan. I, I dragged you into this sort of kicking and screaming a little bit. I'm not uh, kicking and screaming. Well, I, I, I suckered you in with but some right, poetry, yes. right? I. I read you some of his poetry, and that made you interested. What, what are you thinking? This is a pretty bad Lovecraft story, but I quite like it. No, I, I well, because I haven't read enough of it. Uh, no, I, I actually liked it. I, uh, I liked the the gothicness of it, and the uh, I lay, and and um, like there were some lines when he said stuff like. I proceeded back some distance toward the step where there suddenly fell to my experience one of the most <laughs> profound and maddening shocks capable of reception by the human mind. Without warning, I heard the heavy door behind me creak open upon its rusted hinges. Like, I love that stuff. It's great, right? <laughs> it's right. very early Lovecraft. Oh. Yeah. He's just, good. Can, I, like, can I read a, a dream? Please. Um, made by someone... Um, in 1909, so the year after, I was in a house I did not know, which had two stories. It was my house. I found myself in the upper story where there's a kind of salon furnished with fine old pieces in Rococo style. Um, uh, there were paintings and so on. Then it occurred to me that I did not know what the lower floor looked like. Descending the stairs, I reached the ground floor. There, there everything was much older. I realized that this part of the house must date from around the 15th or 16th century. The furnishings were medieval. The floors were of red brick. Everywhere it was rather dark. Everywhere um, I went from one room to another thinking, now I must really explore the whole house. I came upon a heavy door and opened it. Beyond uh, it, I discovered a stone stairway that led down into a cellar. Descending again, I found myself in a beautifully vaulted room, which looked exceedingly ancient. Examining the walls, I discovered layers of brick among the ordinary stone. As soon as I saw this, I knew the walls dated from Roman times. I looked more closely at the floor. It was of stone slabs, and in one of these, I discovered a ring. When I pulled it, the mm. stone slab lifted, and again, I saw a stairway of narrow stone steps leading down to the depths. These two, I descended and entered a low cave cut into the rock. Thick dust lay on the floor, mm. and in the dust were scattered bones and broken pottery, I discovered two human skulls, very old and half disintegrated. So, who dreamed this dream in 1909? I would guess H.P. Lovecraft. No, 
this is Carl Jung. When he came to to America with um, Freud to spread the good word of psychoanalysis. Wow. And he told that to Freud, and and Freud immediately said, Ah, I've read that story. That's that's a death wish. Who do you want to kill? Insinuating (laughs) that you want to kill me, don't you? And and Jung said that's where I decided that I was no longer his follower because for him it was um, a map of his soul or his yes, psyche. Yes, it is a map of his soul. And, of course, Lovecraft uh, wrote this in 1908, so it's in the air, right? Yes. It's in the air. That, uh, I, I, believe, I, I actually believe that that's true, that, that you can see what's going on in your mind by, by looking at, at what you're writing and what you're talking and what you're like, – it's, like, it's, it's a way of plumbing the depths of your, your own castle. And that's why that stuff at the beginning – where he's got the crown and the frown and the uh, and then the clothes, the clothing, the hills, right? Um, it, it 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 is. It's a body, and there's Poe does this a lot uh, with with his poems. It's astounding to read um, some of his stuff. Is like realize, oh, this is. Uh, there's one called the haunted. I think it's the haunted palace. Uh, um, and it's 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 about a skull, and it used to be the beautiful girl with long flowing yellow hair, and out of her voice only, uh, out of her mouth only beautiful music flowed. And now she's a skull, and you know her head is no longer bare, is no longer blonde hair. It's all uh, you know scully, <laughs> and out of her <laughs> mouth, out of her mouth is crawling bugs, right, and and hor- horrible smells. Right, because it's all rotty. So, um, absolutely, you can see inside of people by looking at their dreams and looking at their writing. And uh, there's a poem. This is not exactly the same, but it it gives you the same sense um, by Lovecraft called The Window. This is part of the fungi from Yagath cycle, so it's a sonnet. Um, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, It goes like this. The house was old, with tangled wings outthrown, of which no one could ever half keep track. And in a small room, somewhere, somewhat near the back, was an odd window sealed with ancient stone. There, in a dream-plagued childhood quite alone, I used to go, where night reigned vague and black, parting the cobwebs with a curious lack of fear and with a wonder each time grown. One later day I brought the masons there, to find out to sorry to find what view my dim forbears had shunned but as they piece as they pierced the stone a rush of air burst from the alien voids that yawned beyond they fled but i peered through and found unrolled all the wild worlds of which my dreams had told Oh, wow, that sounds almost kind of like Voyage from Arcturus sort of thing. It's, uh, it's uh, well, that that's a great book for understanding reality as sort of, um, the reality of the story is kind of a, the inner, in an inner journey, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. It's also bordering on music of Eric Zahn. Uh, they're all connected, right? That's oh, the yeah, thing, he's telling absolutely. the same story over and over in, in, in a very real sense. I think it's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Can, oh, silence. Oh, it's a nice oh. pause. Oh, okay. Um, 
can I mention something else that's happening for me that's Lovecraft related at the moment? Go for it. I have. They they just let me uh, pass around the uh, the the covers, the CD covers today. A company in Germany licensed all of my Lovecraft Five, and I've just put them wow. out in German. Cool. And nice. Yes, and if you look at my Facebook page for 1990, yeah, they they translated my scripts of my of the audio dramas into German and then put them out on CDs in Germany. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're They're really big into audio drama in in Germany. It's like it's especially Lovecraft. Yeah. It's very big over there, and the covers are awesome. Um, if you look at the 19 Nocturne Boulevard Facebook feed, they're in that. Okay. And, um, and it also has the name of the company and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm, I'm excited. Some of the, it's really funny if you go and look at the translations, um, the Facebook translations, because, you know, they're dreadful. Um, and one of the things it says is that uh, they're filled with... Um, Morphine charm and comfortable goose. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Morphine charm and comfortable goose. Yeah. I guess I guess that's the bad translation. Uh, but uh, goose flesh, right? Yeah. Uh, morphine is dripping with opium and opium. It's dreams. supposed to be mor- morbid, morbid charm oh, and soothing okay. goose. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> fascinating. But yeah, no, they're, they're, I'm. It's really interesting listening to something that I actually wrote, and so I know what's going on, and yet mm. I'm listening to it in a language that I don't understand. Yeah, I heard their adaptations. They do Philip K. Dick uh, uh, novels and stuff, and I'm like, I know this scene, right? But it's in German, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I can almost understand it because I know the scene so well. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, that'll be interesting. And in fact, they've actually licensed all of my 19 Nocturne Boulevard wow, scripts to cool. to nice. make. But I think the Lovecraft Five are the first ones that they've actually brought mm. out. So, and yeah, you did the and Outsider too, it. right? That's one of them. I'm sorry, which the Outsider? I uh, yeah, it is sort of. It, when I put it in the Lovecraft Five, I called it something different because I wanted people to try and figure out what story sure. it was. Yeah. But they they went ahead and just called it the Outsider. Actually, that's the one that has a guest star character from Poe. Yeah, yeah. They, you they, use a bunch of of, of characters like uh, that are related to help tell the story. Yeah, well, for for anyone who doesn't hasn't listened to my stuff, the Lovecraft Five are five Lovecraftian archetype characters who you know, you know, you know, like Charles the Dilettante, Richard the Painter. Herbert the scientist, Warren the professor, and uh, uh, Edward the writer of fantastic fiction. And they get together and tell each other stories and try and creep each other out, basically. And it's been a way to get around some of the difficulties with using Lovecraft's narrative style and not losing all his language Mm -hmm. in the process Mm -hmm. when you adapt. And so... 
and sometimes like like with the I take I take a lot of liberties, but like when Warren tells them the story of the history of Arthur German, he gives everybody a character and lists all their what they're what they're like, so that they're trying to give out almost like a murder mystery party for each of the different generations of the family, mm-hmm. and which brings out a lot of backstory in a much more entertaining way. So. Um, you know, because backstory is always the problem with Lovecraft. <laughs> Absolutely. When I adapted the Dunwich it's Horror, a, half the story, backstory. is backstory. Yeah, it's all backstory. Yeah, I mean, the main character doesn't enter until halfway through the story. That's Armitage. I mean, the the hero protagonist, we'll say. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that was so crazy when we adapted that. But um, anyway, so yeah, the the. So the Lovecraft Five has given me a way to to play with a lot of those things, and and when I did the Outsider, I I decided to throw in for no other reason than I, it, it amused me, see Auguste Dupin from mm-hmm. Murders in the Rue Morgue, who would have been like a hundred and twenty. Well, he's probably got care. some alchemy alchemy to keep him alive there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, when you say the Lovecraft Five, um, everybody doesn't know that's like. The group of characters are five of them, right? Yes. 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 And then and they tell various stories uh, of Lovecrafts. Originally, it was just something I came up with to you to do the picture in the house because the picture in the house is one of my favorite stories for no good reason because it's just that the old guy is so damn creepy. I like and the story; it's good. But it has such an unsatisfactory ending, and it's not something that's. Easy it's not to that different portray. from this one, as usual. I like thinking about it. The connections are are pretty interesting. It's the way well, it's it's told end- is different. The ending of the picture in the house is, oh no, it's scary. Oh, lightning struck the house and it burned down. That's right. <laughs> I mean, Boxwell, everyone dies. That's right. Well, in in my version, he's like he's like oh, and and lightning struck the house and burned down, or at least that's what I told the police. Right. <laughs> and, oh, unreliable narrator trope. <laughs> well, because he's there telling the story to his friends, you know, it's you can get a wink and a nod in there, and um, but yeah, they and and the the stories that I've done with the Lovecraft Five are. Because it was originally it was just going to be the picture in the house, but everybody liked the characters so much, I brought them back five more times, and did um, the Haunter of the Dark, the Outsider, um, the the facts concerning the family of the Arthur German, uh, the, the, the um, oh brain damage from Beyond, and the Shunned House. Nice. And Shunned House yeah, is is, and, is about a, a house with. With a tree that sucks the uh, the juice out of dead bodies, right? No. No. Which one am I thinking of? Uh, I don't know. The shunned house has the vampire's elbow under it. Vampire's elbow. Jesus. Vampire's elbow. Isn't there? Isn't there a tree <laughs> growing out of it? It's all twisted. No. Oh. Okay. No, the shunned house is the one where the, if you there, there's like some fungus in the basement that yeah. blows a little bit or whatever, and they're no. But when tree. they dig down to find out what's under it, they're like, it it was part of something, and uh, it's a, it, a an energy vampire is what they were positing, and oh. and it was just its elbow, and you're like, <laughs> really, <laughs> really, that's that's the story. It's an elbow. 
Because uh, the idea was that if it sucked enough energy, it grew bigger and bigger. And I'm like, it would have displaced a ton of Earth in doing that. It's, but It's interesting to see all the, the things that – so, like, compare this to the Poe, right? Poe cares about beautiful dead women. Lovecraft does not care about women, <laughs> dead or otherwise, right? But he does care about architecture, yeah. loves his architecture. So yeah. we get a lot of well, sort of – loving description of the architecture he goes for walks in the forest a few times and more importantly than anything else there's a library of a ancient family and the ancestors who uh, may he be may be reverting to a kind of type right this horror of oh is my line cursed i don't want to devolve i don't want to be what i'm born into right that sort of thing um, and mm-hmm. maybe this is the one I was thinking of. This is the house. Uh, it's a poem by Lovecraft. Um, not a sonnet. It goes like this. Tis a grove circle dwelling set close to a hill where the branches are telling strange legends of ill over timbers so old that they breathe of the dead crawl the vines green and cold by, bl- by strange nourishment fed. And no one, no man, sorry, and no man knows the juices they suck from the depths of their dank, slimy bed. In the gardens are growing tall blossoms and fair, each pallid bloom throwing perfume on the air. But the afternoon sun with its shining red rays makes the picture loom done on the curious gaze. And above the sween, uh, should be sweet scents, above the sweet scent of the blossoms rise odors of numberless days. The rank yeah. grasses are, are waving oh. on terrace and lawn, dim memories saving of things that have gone the stones of the walks are encrusted and wet and strange spirit stalks when the red sun has set and the soul of the watcher is filled with the faint pictures he fain would forget last stanza it was in the hot june time i stood by that scene when the gold rays of noontime beat bright on the green but i shivered with cold groping feebly for light as a picture unrolled and my age-spanning sight saw the time I had been there before flash like the fulgri, like a fulgri, out of the night. So we don't even know there's a narrator <laughs> until the last <laughs> yeah. stanza. And it's, this is just Lovecraft walking down the, the street, and he sees a house, and it strikes him, right? And he's like, oh, those, those vines look pretty thick. I wonder what they're sucking on. <laughs> oh, those branches, they're creepy. Mm, <laughs> Which goes like, back to lurking fear. Yes, the grass <laughs> is so <laughs> rank, right? Yeah, well, we had the evil trees you know, it's sucking so out funny. the evil. Overnourished. Yes, overnourished, yeah. strangely nourished. I love that stuff. <laughs> what? Uh, one, one back to the one thing I get to do with the Lovecraft Five that I, that just started to back it up a little bit is to bring in extraneous detail from the time period, like we discuss here. Mm-hmm. You know, to bring in to to help establish what's going on in the story and where it compares to other things. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's just a, I wanted to point that out. <laughs> no, it's exa- exactly right. I mean, that's why. We, we don't just present the story and that's it. It's a, it's all about the drawing the conversation and and thinking about yeah. what does this mean? What does this evoke in us? Because he's so good at it, but if you do it by yourself, you're not quite as good at it. I think. It's, I I find when I'm you know teaching it to a student, you know, going through the lines, I'm like my mind is much more active 
uhly involved and understanding and appreciating really what's going on and it's I think that's true like of a movie too if you watch a movie and you watch it by yourself and can't discuss it with somebody after if it's a if it's a really good oh, movie yeah. it, you know you you'll like it more and you and the reason you like it more is because you you're seeing things better even though you've mm-hmm. already seen it yeah. right yeah that's why I'm so sad I missed last week. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good uh, story. And I was thinking, you know, Arthur German and his family. There's so many stories that are, you know, connected to it, and and it's it's all about the same thing—a family I, curse, right? Well, I think you know Arthur German actually struck me as being a different myth cycle that Lovecraft was contemplating writing, and then he came up with the full mythos and and went off it. Because there's connections between Arthur German and the picture in the house. The pictures that he describes actually seem to be the things that are going on in, in Arthur German. I mean, a little bit. I mean, at least connected, because it is Africa. That Afriki book. Well, there, there's. Uh, he's definitely thinking very strongly about what this this evolution stuff... I mean, it's true. We have to accept oh, it. Oh, yeah. What, what did you call it? The narcissistic wound? Yes. Yes, I think oh. that that's um yeah, we we when thought we said we up. we thought we were God's God's chosen to rule this earth. Turns out we're just apes from Africa, right? Oh, it's shameful. Shameful. How can we be to that thing and then, you know, if you're not careful, you spend too much time alone, you turn into a white <laughs> a white man <laughs> in somebody's basement <laughs> getting your revenge every 32 years. <laughs> that's pretty sad that is a yes, uh, it's okay. a description of the internet or something right <laughs> I, yeah. I was thinking um, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys in the computers say again yeah. Terrence it seems a rudimentary story um, because um, uh, the, uh, there's no cosmic or um, right. metaphysical element in appearance and then I said um, to myself, so I talked to myself, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's something about the end. Um, when uh, um, Charles says, fool, mm-hmm. it reminds me of, um, uh, is it? Fool, Randolph Warren, Tyler you're with, dead. Yes. yes. Warren is dead. Warren is dead. And then he says, um, uh, have I not told you the great, uh, what is it? It's. Um, have I not told have you, you of the brain great whereby elixir? you, may, rec- you yes. may recognize the will which has, through those six long centuries, fulfilled the dreadful curse? Yes. So that made me think of um, uh, uh, Schopenhauer because um, uh, Lovecraft uh, really liked Schopenhauer. And when he, he talked about Nietzsche, mainly he meant Schopenhauer, anyhow. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, for Schopenhauer, the normal world is an illusion, it's representation. And the real world is pure will, and the only way out of the um, the merry-go-round of um, suffering of existence is to deny the will. So um, he's a bad alchemist. He he uses his <laughs> will to to stick in the eternal return of killing yes. and not to get off um, the world of uh, Maya or illusion. Yes, mm. he, he's he's so, definitely he's he's made a huge mistake, right? 
Yeah. A huge, huge a metaphysical. Mistake. Yes, a life mistake, and and he's repeated it for six hundred years, right? I mean, dude, get over it. You're, everybody dies. Your dad <laughs> w- was badly killed. It's not that bad, you know. Get everyone dies. It. Not everyone really lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, he didn't live at all, right? Exactly. Yeah, he's, he spent his he's spending his existence with Apollo pile of gold sitting underneath the castle, waiting for heirs to reach thirty two so that he can kill them and the huge stones on them. Yeah, and yeah, almost, like, in that yeah. same sense, it almost reminds me of that other Poe story that's so famous is Cask of Amontillado, right? Where this guy for the love of God, Jesse. Well, the thing mm. is, Paul, <laughs> when you look at the I'm frame sorry, for, for the story, it's really interesting. He says, you who know me so well, right? He's talking to somebody who knows the narrator really well. It's either a a family member or, in my theory, it's his confessor. And it might be the same thing. It's his priest. His son might be his own priest. And he says to him, "Uh, I want to tell you about this this thing I had with, um, um, it's not Montresor, it's... uh, Fortunato, right? He says, uh, I took him down into the thing. I, I, I killed him. I buried him. And nobody knows about it. And I got away with it. And he's confessing at an extreme old age, right? Because he says it was 50 years ago. And I haven't whispered a word about it. Nobody's even wondered if I was the suspect of this guy's disappearance, right? And it's like, it's, all, it's the same framing. Why are we being told this story? He just says, high up at the grassy summit of a swelling mount whose sides are wooded near the base, with the gnarled trees of the primeval stands the old chateau of my ancestors. Who is he telling this to? It's, it's, he doesn't live there anymore. If he did, he wouldn't be saying this to them. He'd say, in this house, as you can see, I've been rebuilding, right, with this gold, right? Is he living in an old folks' home? <laughs> He's just rambling. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's like that, like confessing an relation. I, I'm now thinking of the name of the rose, where where oh, basically yeah. the There's frame good, is basically yeah, uh, yeah. He's 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 telling about this years and years after the the events in the the monastery in Italy. So mm-hmm. it's like looking backwards. It's almost as like 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 confession or just like un, getting this off of his soul before he dies That's exactly or right. Which what is have you? The whole purpose, right, to get yourself clean. Um, and and in, in, is, he, is he renewing a new kind of horror or is he trying to break from the, the curse on both families, right? It's mm-hmm. interesting. It's very it, – that's why even though it is such a slight story and I, I, think it's, I think it's a better story than the other one that is his youthful story that everybody knows about, which is um, – uh, the Beast in the Cave. Beast in the, Beast in the cave. cave is interesting, and it really does tie into the last uh, show we did on Lovecraft, right? Uh, the um, Lurking Fear, because it has this mm-hmm. reversion in the dark and tunnels underground and crawling around and all that horror. But this one seems like it's more about, it's more direct connection. It's not just some guy who got lost in the tunnels and became a, a chud. It's it's a it's about uh, life direction and how much of your family curse is upon you and what you, what you're gonna do about it, son. <laughs> sort of it thing. Also, <laughs> it, it leaves enough, even though it has that like big explanation at the end. Mm-hmm. It, it it leaves so many things unsaid that it like it really. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like I mm-hmm. couldn't stop thinking about this dude Charles 
sitting in this room and like <laughs> walking around in the wild. And also, yeah. I didn't understand like Antoine growing up in this like falling apart chateau mm-hmm. and like with no friends and Only I don't know books. why he didn't explore. No, no friends, no because he has a dragon was- face. That's why. <laughs> yeah, like something about all that stuff is so fun. It's such a short story, but it puts so many like images and, and mm-hmm. weird characters in my head. So good. Mm. I'm glad. I we mean, did it. two weird characters. But <gasps> yeah. No. It's, it's 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 the the building the the structure the the whole thing right. I I, I just love that he says um, this line at the end of the first paragraph from its maculated parapets. By the way, immaculation. <laughs> it's not something you get at Starbucks with uh, caramel. It's uh, it's not a drink at <laughs> macchiato. It's a um, it's the thing on a castle wall. I'm gonna ask for one of those. <laughs> it's the thing on the castle wall <laughs> that sticks out a little bit from the wall's edge, but it has a hole in the bottom, so you can pour like boiling oil on people who are trying to climb up the wall. I looked that up too. Or Isn't you can great? push stones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anything, anything to drop people. from its maculated parapets. And a parapet is a w- wall around the edge of a roof, right? Maculated parapets and mounted battlements. Barons, counts, and even kings have defied, yet never uh, have have been defied. Yet never had its spacious halls resounded to the footsteps of the invader. Turns out that he was living in the house the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> the call right. the right. That's right. Go check the children. That's right. <laughs> what a cool place to live, though. Apart from the dude in the subterranean room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it sounds like it would be a wonderful place to take photographs. Yeah, as soon as like in the first paragraph, I was like, boring, glorious chateau. Who cares? And then as soon as it starts, like falling apart, and there's faded tapestries and mm. unknown rooms that haven't worm eaten wainscots. Yeah, yeah, yeah I want to walk around that place. Yeah, ur- ur- urban ruin says Fredo Spear might say. Uh, you know, yeah. it, he he want, that's what he does with his time, right? He reads the books in the library in the one t- turret that's still standing, and and that means there's four turrets of the four, right? So it's it's it, how it is a, could he wow. not go explore those? That's what, that's my question. He did. In fact, that's what he does. Is he spends? It, it's it's actually quite beautiful the way he describes the the exploration, and in in fact, that is how he finds. Charles Le Sorcier is he's continuing but not, that. Yeah, he took so long to get there. Like, how could he not be in that fourth turret? Like all that time, he had years with no friends, no but he parents. Had his books there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, no, like, he he does explore that whole thing. It's it's just it, it it's it's not the focus. I'm trying to find the line here, but he does totally explore all of those those ruins. Um, I but it says uh, that he, he finally decides. Find them. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I thought there was a line that said he finally decides to explore this last, like the oldest part that he had yeah, been into. I think that's what I said too. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to read this part. It's on starting on page 151, going to 152. As I drew near the age of 30, old Pierre was called to the land beyond. <laughs> nice. Alone, I buried him beneath the stones of the courtyard. Again, just burying people with the ruins of your own house about which he had loved to wander in life. Thus was I left to ponder upon on myself as the only human creature within the great fortress. And in my utter solitude, my mind began to cease its vain protests against the impending doom, to become almost reconciled to the fate which so many of my ancestors had met. 
Much of my time was now occupied in the exploration of the ruined and abandoned halls and towers and old chateaus, which in youth fear had caused me to shun, and some of which old Pierre had once told me had not been trodden by human foot over the four centuries. And then he does describe the gorgeous, you know, wainscots and... Oh, listen, cobwebs in profusion, never before seen by me, were spun everywhere, and huge bats flapped their bony and uncanny wings on all sides of the otherwise un- un- untenanted gloom. He doesn't mention this is like my dream holiday. It is so nice. (laughs) It's like super gothic. He's not mentioning all the guano that's piled up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh crap! Right? I mean, seriously. Uh, But yeah, it's it's gorgeous. (laughs) Both. (laughs) The alchemist. I think he's making artificial food, right? With with his alchemy, so he doesn't have to leave much. Probably has to have like a solar panel outside to gather the energy. I mean, it, 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 it's really interesting. There is, like, well, he's alchemy. Got the, he's got the back door to the ravines. It's yeah. not. It's not magic, right? He. This is a. This. That's. That's what's so cool about this is. Is that? Yeah, he he's thinks, down there sciencing. He's sciencing, and he. They didn't call it science back then. The alchemist was a scientist. His his dad was a scientist. Mm-hmm. He was not burning witches. Uh, or he was not a witch. He, you know, he was not making deals with the devil. Yes, he's evil. But it's well, a, he was sacrificing children. I don't know. See, don't I, know. Think, I think that that's bullshit. He was accused of that, but I was. And yeah. in fact, that made me think we know there's yeah, evidence that, 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 that that can't always be correct because it turns out that the the kid was fine and he was just what was he doing? Exploring the castle. Right? That one was fine. Yeah, that one was fine. But what but, happened to the I other mean, kids? Thinking, there's wolves, yo. Yeah. Well, also, also, I was thinking when I was thinking, I was thinking of. Uh, Lovecraft's interest in Salem witch trials and witches and and the and the whole the whole hysteria around that the whole idea the whole idea that these sorcerers or these witches or whatnot are k- kidnapping children it's a it's a very very old trope. Mm-hmm. Also, and, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and it's usually not. It's usually they used the they're usually innocent. I mean, nowadays in media, it's an inversion when they're not innocent. There actually are. Kidnapping children and doing bad things usually it's a usually it's a a political or a social charge to uh, to maintain social control. So they still, uh, dude, they still kill people in Saudi Arabia for sorcery. It's not. It's not going away, right? Right, I'm talking. I'm talking about the Salem witch trials and these trials in particular were more about about uh, social and political forces than actual fear of actual magic well they call it magic right i mean we got that going on today russia's interfering in our, with our elections um, how oh uh some ads on facebook convinced everybody to vote for trump that's magic <laughs> that's magical thinking right and and what do they want to do <laughs> they they want to burn the the witches who are uh what um rush uh russian stooges right <laughs> It's like, come on, that's not what's going on here. Yes, uh, governments it? interfere, oh. but it's not magic, and it doesn't it doesn't have massive effects when it's. I mean, he, that's the funny part, right? Is he's he makes he made this curse, and then he's so oh, shit. Now I have to fulfill it, <laughs> and he has to do it in the old back, fashioned way. Back to the children being killed mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, it's depending on when six hundred years ago was. There was Gilles de Rey, and that is France. 
Uh, it's interesting. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he? Killed he killed a lot of kids, and and Lovecraft mentions him in the Rats in the Walls, so he knows about him. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Gilles de Ray was he he supported Joan of Arc, and he was a pedophile serial killer. So yes. yeah, good and the bad, right? <laughs> hmm. I'm trying to find. There is a uh, there is a Lovecraft story, and I'm cannot I'm blank totally. Bl- I think it's a Lovecraft story. Blanking on it. Um, oh, it's uh, it's the uh, it's the nameless, the unnameable. You know that story? Uh, oh yes. Um, yes. So when Lovecraft, I did that one with Mr. Jim Moon. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm going to see if I can bring it up. Lovecraft quotes from. Uh, I think this will have it. From who's the witch guy in? He wrote the witch stuff in Boston. What's his name? He's a famous American witch documentary. Mather. 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 Mather, exactly. yeah. Here, I've got this. This is from Cotton Mather's book. I actually got it off of archive.org, and it, so it even has the great old-fashioned font. Um, oh, boy. Listen to this. There have been devilish... Uh, and I'm going to... Wherever it says the letter F, I'm going to say the S. <laughs> but it says devilish <laughs> instead of de- devilish. Okay. Devilish, devilish filthiness committed amongst us, but oh, how flagrantly. Oh, no, it's not flagrantly. Strangely, they have sins of men found them out. And then this is the highlighted section. At the southward, there was a beast. It's spelled (laughs) B-E-A-F-T. There was a beast which brought forth a creature. Creature is capitalized. Beast is capitalized. Which might pretend unto something, except it's spelled something, <laughs> of an humane shape. <laughs> it's human, but it has an E on the end. <laughs> now the people minded that the monster, <laughs> monster had blemish, blemish, blemish in Blame. one eye, much like what a profligate fellow in the town was known to have. This fellow was hereupon oh. examined, and upon his examination, confessed, 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 uh, his infidious bestialities. You make it sound like Daffy Duck. <laughs> for which he was deferredly executed. So there's this guy in town. I'll just read it normal. At the southward, there was a beast which brought forth a creature which might pretend unto something of an human shape. Now the people minded that the monster had a blemish in one eye, which was like which was a which was much like a profligate fellow in the town was known to have. This fellow was hereupon examined, and upon his examination confessed his insid infandus infandus bestialities for which he was deservedly executed. So there was a creature. That, Infamous, I'll bet you. Yeah, and it had an eye like a like. So there's a guy in town with a I don't know a white eye or something. You know, he's got a bad eye, and then there's this beast yeah. that has a bad eye, and it looks a little bit like a human. <laughs> and so they they uh, they examined him, aka they tortured him until he confessed that he had had sex with some beast of the forest, uh, and therefore he was executed. And that's what actually what Lovecraft pulls out and makes into this story, the unnameable. But yeah. it's it's crazy, right? So, uh, in fact, the the eye thing is another connection to the lurking fear. 
It's mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. Yeah. He is reading all these old books. He is that guy in the tower, right? His house yeah. is collapsing, and oh, it's wonderful. I love it. I mean, he's half half uh, would be gentleman, half we would be medieval scholar, and, al- and half would be medieval alchemist. And he's now immortal, uh, right? We're talking um, about these things more than a hundred years after. I mean, even given all the problematic problems with Wolfcraft and his fiction, yeah, five hundred years from now, they're still going to be remaking and talking about his stuff. I think he, he achieved his immortality. I don't think he ever probably realized that that he would. But <laughs> he, he shall has. curse us all for for at least uh, ten thousand generations, right? <laughs> Maybe not. I. With Cotton Mather, one of my favorite things, and I think it's he did the Melius Maleficarum, didn't he? I don't anyway, know. Yeah, the, the, favorite, book, the book I, on, killing, on finding and killing witches, yep, yeah. that was Mather. Yeah, one of my favorite accusations in there, the one of the things that witches are supposed to do on a regular basis, and one of the ways you can tell they're around is if they make men's genitalia vanish. No, that's still a charge uh, today, right? That uh, witchcraft <laughs> yeah. is still going. Yeah, he he withered my no, that's testicles. That's just called Bobbit. <laughs> You're laughing, but these like people are being executed for this in in various uh, countries around the world. It's insane. Oh no, I understand that, but yeah, it's just vanishing. That's interesting. I mean, somebody's got to do the presentation, I guess. But I, I'm. Anyways, I think we're done, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, I great think we're done. Story right. by a teenager. A great story yeah. by a yeah. eighteen and nineteen year old. I think he's pretty. I think he did a pretty damn good job. I, I think he had a future well, in writing. Know, he did. He spent his whole childhood in a castle reading books. I, he really <laughs> did. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.